From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help CMOs in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. Today, I'll be talking about the future of interactive marketing and new media with one of the experts, George Bell, a special venture partner at General Catalyst. Uh, General Catalyst is a leading venture capital firm and, by the way, one of the hottest ones right now that invests in exceptional entrepreneurs who are building technology-based companies that will lead innovation and transform industries. George focuses on investment opportunities in new media, interactive marketing, and digitally driven disruptions of traditional consumer behavior. He is a board member of Going, Photo Shelter, and an online health hatch. George has been involved in the creation and growth of consumer businesses for 25 years. Before General Catalyst, he was CEO of You Promise, the country's largest college savings service, sold in 2006 to Sally May. He was also chairman and CEO of Excite at Home, bringing together the Excite portal with the at-home cable broadband platform in a $7 billion merger. I remember that, George. Before the merger, he led Excite's IPO, oversaw the acquisition of more than 20 companies, and expanded Excite into a worldwide media property. He founded the Outdoor Life Network, a special cable channel reaching 40 million homes, and served as senior vice president of Times Mirror Magazine, where he oversaw eight special interest magazines. He's board chairman of Harris Interactive, a leading marketing services and polling company, and immediate past chairman of the Massachusetts Technology Leadership Council. All of George's accomplishments and contributions are too long to enumerate fully, and we are lucky to have him on Market Edge. George, welcome. Thank you, Larry. Happy to be here. Hey, George, first let's start, you know, um, I, I like to start with my guest and, and to get you know sort of a 30,000 foot view from uh from their eyes and 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 their heads and you know what really is happening in your opinion in sort of this what some people call web 2.0 but uh I like to refer it sometime as a as a social media movement but what's happening in the world of of media and and marketing right now from from your point of view well, in a phrase, I'd say massive, massive fragmentation, the likes of which we've never seen before. Um, and I think it represents a paradox. I mean, for the first time, you've got virtually all types of media, all types of content available to you on multiple devices, when you want it, how you want it. You can consume it digitally. You can consume it in analog still and so forth. So platforms have become agnostic. Um, content is ubiquitous. Uh, Broadband is penetrating further and further into the average American home and business, so video is becoming a bigger factor. And in the face of this massive fragmentation, a subset of which obviously is social network, this phenomenon of everybody is a publisher, and publishing yourself, RSS, uh, syndicating your thoughts and, um, and publications and blogs to others. In the face of this massive fragmentation, I think the pendulum is going to swing away from where we've been in the last 10 years, which is it's been a terrific party for the consumer, the likes of which I think has not been seen before, 
where choice has proliferated, types of content have proliferated, um, and access to content has proliferated. And now I think people are thirsty again. It's certainly just my gut about this, but they seem thirsty again for judgment, for the old-fashioned role of editorial. And now that I know I can, you know, pull content in from different sources, I can have hundreds and hundreds of channels of VOD on my Comcast here at home in Boston and so forth, um, the question now becomes organization and judgment. You know, how do I make sense of all this stuff? And who, who's going to do filtering for me? And what happened to context and so forth? So at the same time that I've seen massive fragmentation, I've also seen a kind of unanchoring of content moving away from context. And everything available all the time seemed to be such a promising world. And now, frankly, the more people I talk to, and it certainly feels this way in my own life, it's become intimidating. Yeah, you know, it's it's almost too much. You know, I agree with you because what, what uh, we see happening is through this micro-segmentation, people want some more order. And I don't think it's an old point of view. I think it's more a maturation of a media explosion that occurred over the last few years and that there's going to grow this need for a mix of professional content, some editorial judgment. And you're going to see, even in the blog sphere, you know, the best sites, you know, coming up to the top. Um, You know, much like we saw in previous generations, the best TV programs or the best radio programs. Is, is, is that what you're, you're talking about? Well, you use the word order, which is interesting. I want to deconstruct that for a minute. You know, do people yep. want order? I think there's several variants of that. First of all, there's kind of tidiness. Um, and folks of your and my generation probably seek tidiness in their media experience because it's how we grew up, more so than the 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old crowd seeks tidiness, you know, their capacity for multitasking and having six or seven or eight screens open on their computer simultaneously and so forth. Um, and that's not the kind of order I'm talking about. The kind of order I'm talking about is, you know, if I were to try and follow, even in my own industry, early stage investing, I today get five or six emails. I get eight or nine RSS feeds. Most of those emails are redundant to each other. However, I still get them all. And, um, you know, there's, there's marginally new coverage in each one that's not shared by the other. But it's reasonably inefficient. But, boy, is there a lot of volume. You know, more volume in my inbox and on my webpage than there's ever been before. It's terrifically helpful at one level, but there's no order in the sense that there's no filtering, there's no summarization, there's no contextual relevance to it. It's all momentum. You know, this is new and this is fresh, and therefore it matters. So right. they have this funny dichotomy in this structure of order about the fact that, you know, what, you, what I really seek and what I think I'm looking for in my investments today as well is the capacity for new sites and entrepreneurs to leverage technology, but also introduce a notion of filtration or editorial harmony to whatever topic they may be pursuing. Um, and that's, it's funny, like, take something like Kayak, which is an investment of ours, the travel search engine, kayak.com. That front page is very ordered in the sense that all it asks you to do is type in the city that you're departing from, the city you're going to, and it says, I'll take care of all the dreck. You don't have to worry about searching other airline sites and looking for the best deal and, you know, all the things that one likes to do in the airline market. It'll find it for you. And it's been a terrifically popular site for us to build and company for us to build in partnership with the entrepreneurs because I think it does marry these two themes of, 
powerful technology, but judgment. You know, someone's actually acting on your behalf to try and, for instance, find you the best fare or the shortest route or traveling on non-blackout days, whatever your criteria might be. So I find that, that in order, you know, tidiness may be a legacy of another generation, although filtering and context I think is very much at the forefront of the things I'm looking at today. The, uh, you know, what's fascinating to me is that you look at at least the ones that are getting the most press and seem to be most popular, uh, sites like Facebook, uh, MySpace for a younger generation, uh, you know, not uh, necessarily the travel and, you know, which I, by the way, I love kayak. It's terrific. Um, and, but, you know, I'm wondering with 15 million members or people going, isn't that just another form of mass media? Um, you know, what's going to, how do we get to, again, a more granular, uh, a, a more granular place for, uh, for these sites? Well, the one interesting change, which is major from mass old media to mass new media, is that new media is all participatory. Um, you know, the, the, the 2.0 features of most popular, most recent, freshest, you know, who's, who's on my graffiti wall at Facebook and so forth, that's all deeply participatory. I, I suspect that a lot of clicking activity is driven simply by either vanity or fear. You know, like, like who's been on my page why haven't they been there in a while? I posted a note to them. I poked them. They didn't poke me back. You know, all of those sorts of things. So they're very natural emotions, but the first time that people can express them individually through media. So I believe it is mass. And, of course, with it comes the privilege of having a lot more click data on people and knowing a lot more about what they like to consume and don't like to consume in media, which obviously is a, a new frontier and a very interesting one for advertisers. But if you look more at sort of the next layer of the consumer experience, um, what I worry about is uh, wh- where, where, are the, where are these points of consolidation leading to? Um, so if there's millions and millions of people on Facebook right now that don't do email anymore, that rarely do instant messaging anymore, and in fact in most cases um, they would poke or message each other on Facebook first as a precursor to calling one another on a phone. Right? That's how ubiquitous mm. I think that generation has penetrated into the use of Facebook and social platforms like it. Uh, I actually went to an office of a startup in New York yesterday, and I was struck by something. I didn't know what it was for a couple of minutes. About 20 people working there, and I realized there were no phones. And I just heard the sound of keyboards. It sounded like uh, kind of a water dripping from the roof, tapping on the roof or something. And it was was very interesting to me. Um, You know, it's, it's become that ubiquitous. It really is displacing the phone for this generation. So in that context... How do they want to engage with uh, advertising? How do they want to engage with media? Um, that's not really clear to me. I mean, I'm not even sure, I suppose, what they're doing now we would call media, for lack of a better word, but I find it to be just you know, deep personal interaction. Um, all my experience with early-stage search engines when I ran Excite and beyond said to me that there's an inverse proportion between engagement and your willingness to look at or click on advertising. The more personally engaged you are, in a particular activity on the web, the more social it is, the more personal it is, and so forth, the, the lower the click rates, the lower the recollection rates are of an advertiser's message or banner and so forth. So you have these, um, you have these dichotomies growing, um, and, and of course the advertisers are terrifically interested and continue to push money from traditional to new media as quickly as they can. But we see a lot of opportunity in helping the advertiser to understand what their objectives ought to be 
in this new world. I know you do the same thing with CMOs, trying to figure out how do you get messages out to people in this world where you've got massive fragmentation, deep personalization, and participatory media at a mass level, but driven by the individual. Right, and it's still a, a tough conundrum. I mean, my, uh, my, my middle daughter came to me a few weeks ago and said, Dad, the lamest thing just happened on Facebook. And I said, what's that, Julia? She said, Coke wants to be my friend. And right. she and her uh, friends all said how you know lame and how stupid that was. What's at least your best guess how big brands can start to manage their way through not just all this data, but you know getting down on a more personal and granular level without people making fun of them? <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's I think there are two challenges and, and maybe two opportunities for advertisers. One is integration into this new media in a form that is truly organic because I think once this younger generation has even a whiff or a feeling that they're being sold to just as your daughter did they turn away very quickly right so I think they're gonna have to think about branding inside the social platforms in a very new and different way and that's gonna be a big DNA change for the branded advertiser the second is um, I actually believe that with the broadband penetration and with the emergence of video on the web, you're going to see the resurgence of really kick-ass creative, mostly in video, from some of these big brands that could afford to do it and make a real splash with their brands, like the Pepsis, like the Cokes. And you're going to look for these sort of breakaway advertising opportunities that you see every few years in the Super Bowl start to happen on the web, where people are really liking and rewarded for the creative that a big brand has put out there. It doesn't happen now. Because I think the format constraint and the lack of imagination where people are living within text ads and banners and skyscrapers and so forth um, has limited that. But I do think that you know, the very sort of CPM display advertising that's falling, that has fallen into disrepute over the last couple of years, subsumed by the sort of ROI, direct marketing magic of text advertising, I think that, that there will be a resurgence of branded advertising in which you, know, you, you tell stories in the same way that that's how those branded advertisers really first made their mark with consumers on television. Yeah, I, um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, I, I think part of the reason it's taking so long for creative to raise its head again is a lot of the sites are st- and advertisers are still playing with video much in the broadcast era. I don't know if you've ever been on, like, MSNBC lately, but you want to just go watch, a, you know, a, a piece of the Today Show, you're forced to watch a 30-second spot. Uh, before you get to watch that video. And I'm sure some kid at MIT is trying to figure out right now or Stanford how to get around that, and they'll figure it out. But it's very frustrating for me right now that that's old of a model still there. Well, the, the shadow of television still hangs over the web, in my view, in a very heavy way. Um, I mean, the, the, the simple mentality of you know programming and then watching a commercial as distinct from the programming still basically is perpetuated on the web by a generation, and I've included myself among them, of, you know, that's how we grew up consuming programming. And then that's what we dealt with when we, when we had to, you know, run off to make a sandwich during the advertising. And just the example you gave, you know, if you, like a pre-roll, post-roll, that's just simply uh, an unimaginative translation of the television paradigm onto the web. Uh, but it doesn't go to the next level yet and start to deal with the web in its own organic way and say, how are people using it? Therefore, how do I market within the context of how they use it? It's just simply, I think, forklifting the traditional metaphor of television and saying, all right, well, 
either every X pages or every X couple of seconds, I should be able to insert or play a piece of advertising. We're going to take a short commercial break right now. Please stand by, and we'll be right back with this very compelling conversation with George Bell. Just a minute. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. Okay, so you're telling me that if I put the Go Currency Converter on my site, all my international customers can see how much they're paying in their own currency? Yeah, GoCurrency.com has free currency converters, language translations, international clocks, everything you need to do international business. So how does it work? Conversion elves. Conversion elves? Yeah, watch. Want to know what this will cost in euros? Check this out. Listen up, elves. We got one. $34 US. I need that in euros. Now, people. We got it. Put it up there, elves. Wow. Currency elves. Who knew? GoCurrency.com. Free currency converters, language translations, and more. GoCurrency.com. Um, hello? Uh, welcome to our website? Website traffic isn't about paying for clicks. Okay, so I guess we're going to wait until everyone shows up and then we'll... Uh, um... It's about having the right content. So while you're searching for more traffic, the folks at InfoSearch Media are creating the content people are searching for. With InfoSearch Media, you can get more traffic for less money than PPC. So the next time you need to speak to your customers... Welcome to our website. They're already searching for you. InfoSearch Media. Get content that really clicks. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. SEO 101 is now in session. Today's topic is duplicate content. Today's topic is duplicate content. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you jagdor. <laughs> it just needed to be done. I'm sorry. <laughs> New episodes Mondays and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. And check out their live broadcast Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Or on demand anytime inside the Search Engine Optimization Channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Get clicked, covered, and rained on. All week long on WebmasterRadio.fm. Your destination for education and entertainment. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with George Bell the special venture partner at General Catalyst, uh, talking about the future of new media and interactive marketing and sort of where we're all headed for from a new media point of view. Uh, George, before we get back into some of the things you're doing, just some comments on sort of the current, some current events. You know, uh, Microsoft is trying to grab Yahoo, and Google seems to be maintaining its dominance in this sort of search advertising market. Uh, which dwarfs uh, about everybody else. And I know you were a pioneer and a very successful business builder in sort of the first generation of search and and content. How about some views on, uh, you know, what's happening today and where you think some of this is go- goes? Because I know my opinion on the 
the uh, the Yahoo Microsoft thing is it's it's sort of like two negatives don't make a positive and and they're still thinking in a software mentality not a network content mentality but I I'd love to know sort of your your views of this whole direction and you know um, in search and marketing and 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 the current events of today at a tactical level I'm not a fan of the Yahoo Microsoft merger because I don't think it will fix the problem. Um, and I also don't see anything slowing down Google's increased dominance of share of, of search. Um, I, I, if you look at Wall Street reports, no one on Wall Street would be surprised if Google wound up with 85 to 90% of worldwide market share in search. Scary, but almost unstoppable at this point. Um, and so I don't really see that the Yahoo-Google merger excuse me, Yahoo, the Microsoft merger, would do anything to stop the juggernaut in that sense. Um, I do have to tell you a funny story, which unfortunately every time Google comes up haunts me a little bit. It was 1997 or 8, and we were all the first generation of public search companies. It was Excite that I was running, and Yahoo, obviously, and uh, Lycos were here in Boston, and a company called InfoSeek, also out on the West Coast, were kind of the four right. big search engines, and Netscape had gone public. Um, and um, uh, at the time... The in investors at the venture firm Kleiner Perkins came to me and they said, we were thinking about putting some money in something called Google. We wouldn't do it without your permission because you've been running Excite and you've had an IPO. It's been a terrifically successful investment for you and for us and for our limited partners. So we wouldn't do it without your permission. But why don't you meet the guys and see if you like their search technology and would want to use it in any way? So I met uh, Larry Page and introduced him to our engineering team. And we had a series of tests with the Google search side-by-side -side to the Excite search. And at those days... Google search was not distinguished yet from Excite or from others. It just it didn't look that much different when you put in 50 to 100 different queries and try to measure the quality of the results. And um, uh, we got to the point where Larry said, you know, I, I, I still think I can make Excite search better and take on Yahoo. At that time, you remember Yahoo was really human directory driven, and we were really algorithmically driven um, by technology. So Larry said, you know, it, it, I would love to ha have the canvas that you play on with Excite and the worldwide audience reach that you build and so forth. And we would sell you the company for $250,000. And the only catch is that we would have to run your search engine. You'd have to rip out all of your current technology, uh, of which we had probably 50 or 60 engineers working on it. And it was the roots of the founding of our company was search technology. Two of our founders came from that part of the, of the world, if you will. And, um, he said, but if you agree to do that, we'd be happy to sell you Google for $250,000 and fold our line <laughs> with Excite and see if we can make a real run of it. And we deliberated about it for a while, and I just felt culturally that I couldn't rip the heart of the company out and replace it with Larry's dream, Larry and Sergey's dream. And we passed, and ultimately, Kleiner Perkins and um, Sequoia did invest, and then obviously did terrifically as investors. But I'm not sure Google would have turned out to be the Google we know today if we had said yes. <laughs> um, but I also I also think that um, uh, at, at a sort of macro level, setting aside merger discussions, that what you've got here is you know the the, the clear emergence of the two or three or four television networks of the past, where what they're going to be very very good at ultimately are things like navigation, context, search, and programming in the sense of content. Um, I think they'll be probably happy to license or partner for and to put their traffic in front of superior quality programming. You made a reference earlier about how TV shows, you know, the best ones got to the networks. And I think that's the environment that you'll see in the next five years. And I'd be surprised the number of people that have come to us making presentations and pitches 
proposing to build traditional channels, um, saying, like, I'm going to go build an auto channel, or I'm going to go build a skiing channel, or a, uh, I'm going to go build a software channel and teach people how to program. Um, and they believe their distribution outlets will be Yahoo, Microsoft, Google, AOL. They, they believe that, that they make content better than those giants make content, and the giants are happy to distribute the best content and put it in front of their audiences and share revenue. And that, I think it's very interesting. It's very old-fashioned, of course. Um, it's just the way network TV operated for years. But after all the toing and froing, I think, you know, I think it would be very hard for a new Google to emerge. I certainly have looked at a number of different people trying different things in search technology. They're very clever, and in some cases they're very good. But it would be very hard for me to imagine someone breaking through to the point where you might see 50, 60, 100 million people using a new search engine or a new paradigm in navigation. You always hope it happens at one level because it's just innovative and, and, and fresh to think about how those things might come about. But I do think that you're sort of seeing a closing down or a locking in of who these key networks are going to be and then what functionally will they do for consumers that will be superior that they're going to want to invest their dollars in engineering time in. I do think that's going to be search, navigation, context, and so forth. Um, the wild card, Larry, I know you focused on this a lot, is social networking. I mean, most of the people I talk to in the Valley believe that all of the innovate, the, the, the real innovation in science and technology right now on the web is happening around social engineering and not around search, for example, or not around navigation. So all of the guys that were working on browsers and search engines in the 90s have turned their attentions or spawned younger people that are now working on innovation and social network. And I'm not sure at the end of the day whether that's a standalone network in the same sense I'm describing TV networks that partner for content or whether it's altogether a different kind of beast. I mean, Facebook may just be that fifth network, the kind of fox of old who came along um, and surprised everybody because they did it in a different way. Well, and of course, you know, I've studied this, I even wrote a book about it, but the, you know, the, what's fascinating to me is like you were just mentioning things like, uh, you know, you start the software channel to learn how to program. Well, I, I met a kid that, you know, is doing bass fishing in northernidaho.com, and he actually has tens of thousands of people that are totally interested in it, and he's going to be able to attract uh, very, very specific advertisers or, you know, and he has a mix of sort of user-generated and professional content, and it, it is definitely social in nature. I guess the, the question of aggregation comes up, is it going to be the, the search, um, you know, that, that aggregates these kinds of networks, or will the big publishers move in, like News Corp and, and MySpace? Uh, you know, will there be, you know, private equity and venture firms that put together all the phishing networks, and there's just one phishing network, you know, and uh, that kind of thing. So it's, it's sort of fascinating. I mean, we tend to rely on older models like cable television and stuff, but, you know, your thoughts on other players that might be these network umbrellas? I think you could see content and probably will see content roll-ups for the sake of scale, in the same sense that ESPN is nothing more or less than a roll-up of lots of different content and rights opportunities within the broad umbrella of sports. The wonderful thing about the web, though, is this notion of the long tail. You know, your example of the bass fishermen, how... People with particular passions and interests may be very vertical. Fishing is not by any means small in this country nor worldwide, but uh, we just invested in the site out in Santa Monica called wonderhowto.com, run, interestingly, by the guy that used to be the CEO at Fox, running all their programming, developed COPS, um, he developed a bunch of different shows there, 
uh, America's Most Wanted and so forth. And then he went to USA, worked for Diller, and developed Monk and, and created the Sci-Fi Network. So this is a guy who's had a very good chops in traditional television programming, threw up his hands because he thought that ultimately the formatting and the programming opportunity of television was nowhere near as exciting as the web, and moved to the web a couple of years ago to build Wonder How To. And Wonder How To is nothing but sort of how-to, aggregation of how-to videos, about 100,000 how-to videos, cataloged, ranked, rated, little descriptions written of each one, embedded on the site that you can play. But really, it celebrates the long tail. I mean, yeah. people putting things up there like how to teach your cat to use a toilet. Right? There's goofy <laughs> things, right? how to make a potato gun, uh, all those sorts of things. All the way through to you know, professionally curated how to improve your golf game, how to, you know, yeah. how to, how to swing a club better, um, how to program C++. So, you know, they're very interesting. I mean, you, you, it's staggering the amount of video produced by companies like Rockwell or like Boeing that do a lot of their training now by video and then have no other place to put the video, but then it finds its way to the web. So I do think that there will be, other than the search engines, which I think will be very strong contenders for this role of kind of TV networks of, of the new age, I do think that um, the wonderful lingering mystery of all of this is in the long tail. You know, how yeah. this, this notion of self-publishing and passion even as meted out in small doses and, and sort of squirrely topics, uh, finds its way to the fore, and really how you find it. You know, how do you really connect with other people that want to exercise those passions? I love the example of your bass fisherman because he obviously also is spending a bunch of time on quality, right? He, he doesn't want it to be crappy. He wants quality to be on that site because that's part of his passion. I mean, one of the funny things I learned about magazines when we started to take bunch of magazines I ran at Times Mirror, ski, snowboarding, field and stream, outdoor life, and put them onto the web, was that when they got onto the web, although the magazine you know, had one page of editorial where you wrote a review of the skis, and the other page was Rosignol advertising the skis, showing you where to get them and how much they cost, that kind of stuff. When you put all that on the web, nobody cared about the difference between editorial and advertising. They said, the advertising is just as interesting to me as the editorial. I want to read the review of the skis, but I also want to know where to get them, what other people think of them, how do they perform, and what price are they sold at. So, you know, this funny distinction that we talked about earlier of commercials and programming or ad pages and editorial, you know, it all gets obliterated on the web. And I think, that's a, I think there will be very large, but mostly vertical content players that emerge that dominate areas, but they dominate by way of traffic and I think quality. I think, I think editorial will matter. I agree with you. I think we're going to be in for a huge quality up, uptick uh, in, in all the content we're looking at, and those are the ones that are going to go to the top. I think um, um, there's also, in a lot of smaller ways, aggregation happening. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with the site BlogHer, but what a, what a simple idea uh, these women had to really organize all of the blogs uh, written for, by, and, and to women, and then voting on the best ones in the categories so that you don't have to go searching all yourself. You can go to one destination to find the best blog on uh, surviving breast cancer or parenting or, you know, uh, love, you know, uh, right, right. et cetera. You know. um, well, I mean, in, in a funny way, it's just a great time to be a consumer. I, I actually um, was lamenting at our partner meeting last week that the, the couple of us in the firm that focus on consumer and new media and so forth, we just don't spend enough time on the web. I mean, you have to, you have to give yourself a chance to wander around the same way you'd used to bash around with your channel changer. And, um, 
you just bump into these wonderful sort of corner of the world things that people are up to on the web and just that that sense of discovery it's in a way it's for me it's more human and more inspiring than any other interaction i've had with any other kind of media yeah I agree with you. I think I'm, you know, lucky to, I think we're all lucky to be at a time when it's probably the the, the largest change since the printing press has, has happened. Hey, last question in our uh, last few minutes, uh, actually last minute, George. Um, I always ask my guests, is there any sites that are you've just discovered recently that you just really like and you want to share with people, uh, you know, go have some fun? <laughs> Well, I can't help but pimp a little bit for Wonder How To. I mean, I've declared earlier that we invested in it, so full disclaimer. But I love yep. it. It's a lot of fun to be on that site. Um, there's an interesting search engine I just found. It's, it's, it's developing natural language. It's called Hakia, H-A-K-I-A.com. And uh, it's been in stealth. It's out there now. I just met with the team in New York yesterday, actually. And they've made a lot of progress. And I do think this is one of the continuing challenges of search. How can I just type in a plain English question? You know, why does my knee hurt or where does knee pain come from? And get a reasonable answer. Um, it's still too difficult. So I like hockey a lot. Um, it, it's a very promising, sort of interesting idea. Um, and I've been playing a lot with um, uh, a lot of the different uh, blogs more recently. Um, and I've, and I've, I've been looking for sort of the presence of good voices in some of these blogs. Um, and actually, the so the uh, the um, uh, Alley Insider Henry Blodgett's blog I enjoy a lot. I caught up with him yesterday. I hadn't seen him in a while. Also down in New York. So um, I continue to look for things that are kind of quirky, a little bit edgy, challenging the norm, um, and sort of celebrating things that celebrate the long tail. George, thanks for being my guest today. Um, and we just had a great conversation with George Bell, special venture partner at General Catalyst. Uh, talking about the future of new media and interactive marketing from somebody that's seen it for 25 years and has been seminal in the evolution of some of our more uh, innovative uh, marketing and media um, discoveries. Thanks again, George. Thanks, Larry. And thank you, everybody, for listening to today's Market Edge conversation. Tune in again next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time at webmasterradio.fm. For now, this is Larry Weber at Market Edge.